Shalom, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast, discovering the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And now, from beautiful Brandon, Florida, here are your hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. This is your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I am here in Studio A with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. What a beautiful, hot summer day. Man, Florida is not cool, if you know what I'm saying. So a couple quick things. If you are in France or you are in Canada, I want your emails. All right? You're listening. You're you're taking a little bit, right, what we're giving, but you're not giving back and let me know who you are. So I want to know who you are. That's right. France is hitting it pretty good. Man, they are hitting it. So I would, I would like to hear from you guys. Uh, just shoot me an email. Um, if you guys are in different parts of France or whatever, or, or anywhere close to each other and you guys want to connect Love with your each emails. other, you can email me. Um, again, uh, uh, just, just send me, send me your emails, uh, Ryan, R Y A N at two praise.net. I want to hear from you. I want to know who you are. I want you to reach out all that good stuff. And that goes for everybody. You don't have to be in France or Norway or Canada or Australia or South Africa to email me. You can be in, you know, Wisconsin. I want an email from England. Uh, okay. The old chap would like to have an email. Yeah. The so old chap would like to have an email. That's coming from his DNA. He found out that he's... Uh, yeah, he, like 51%, um, what, Scottish, No, it was Irish, like 72% Welsh. UK. I mean, no, it was... No, no, then 20... It was like... Then it was like uh, 20% English. So that was a solid 20. But of course, you know, as far as Great Britain, there was there's, there's Ireland, Irish, Scottish, and Welsh... Right. Yeah. Little so plug for Twinnings Tea, little spot of tea, Twinnings Tea. Listen. Oh, P and G tips too. Uh, I highly recommend P and G uh, tips. Uh, actually, a, a, an English tea, very good. The little tea bags are shaped like a triangle. And if you're from Twinnings or P and G tips, and you want to sponsor our podcast, that's right. Send Mr. me an Twinnings. email at Ryan at twopraise dot net, yeah. and I'll go ahead and accept that donation. So, um. Coming up here at the community of Beit Tehila is Mr. Nadi Ram, who is the head of Lev HaOlam, uh, a, uh, an organization from Israel that supports the uh, small businesses of Judea and Samaria. Uh, as you guys know, there's a lot of people that come against uh, Judea and Samaria through what they call the BDS movement, the Boycott, Divest, and Sanction movement. Uh, and the BDS movement is a real problem for the folks in Judea and Samaria because the economic opportunities that are afforded to most areas are not afforded to them many times because of people just outright coming against them. And so uh, Nadi Ram is doing a great work by helping support them. Uh, we're having him here at uh, the church on Wednesday, uh, which is tomorrow. Right. Wow. Tomorrow night, uh, 7 p.m. If you're in the area, be here or be square. If not, then we'll give you kind of a rundown of how it went uh, next week on the podcast. Uh, I think that is everything that I want to tell you guys about. If I think of something, I'll tell you. Uh, but we are studying today the Torah portion, Pinchas or Phineas. And that is found in the book of Numbers, starting in chapter 5 and verse 10 and going through and ending at chapter 30 and verse 1. All right, just a little reminder for all of you that are actually listening to this podcast that the book of Numbers is broken up into three parts. So we are really hitting this third part. I want to stress, I'm not going to go over the first two, but uh, chapter 22 through chapter 36, uh, those chapters 22 through 36 is at Moab, at the gate to the land. And of course, we have new problems, final preparations, and concluding tasks. Now, this takes place within a few months at Mount Nebo. 
So how many that right now there's trouble in doggy land right now. There is trouble in doggy land throughout this earth. We're seeing troubles. We're seeing some uh, perilous times. We're seeing some things happening uh, in our weather patterns with the government. Uh, you, we're just seeing some bizarre things happening as well. So keep this in mind that the three key words are service, war, and wilderness. But just once again, a reminder that we are actually uh, at the gate to the land because we're in Numbers chapter 25, which began, of course, in Numbers 22. So Ryan's going to begin reading uh, Numbers chapter 25, verses 10 through 18, a great story about uh, Phineas, or otherwise known as Pincus. He is the hero of the story. Yes, he is. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have, and he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite that was slain, even that was slain with the Midianitish woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a prince of a chief house among the Simeonites. The name of the Midianitish woman that was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Zer. He was head over a people and of a chief in the house of Midian. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites, and smite them, for they vex you with their wiles, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor, and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. Wow, so here we go. So Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, turned back the anger of the Lord. Yeah, he took matters into his own hands. And he, of course, thrust that spirit through those two people while they were actually in the act, even towards the entrance to the tabernacle. It was in your face sin. Uh, we don't see that today, do we? In your face sin? We do. And in I, your face. And you know, not every time we're called to stand up against sin is it spearing somebody through, this is true. through the back and the stomach, this is true. right? But we are called to stand up. And I think that, you know, it, it, there's different ways to do it and there's classy ways to do it, right? But at the end of the day, um, we should be standing against sin at least. Um, yeah, and, and so basically, you know, his name would be great. And let me share this with all of you that are listening. Uh, Phineas or Pincus was a third generation. You know, the third generation is very interesting. It's a whole uh, teaching. I do believe I, I did called three generations or, or whatever. But uh, the number three is very important. It's divine of the Lord. But uh, even if you go and you look at uh, the prophet Joel and Peter quotes Joel, even in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes down, he says, in the last days, of course, your sons and daughters will prophesy. That means to speak the very oracles of God. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, uh, your young men will have visions. That simply means fresh revelation from God. And he says, and your old men will dream dreams. Now, what I want to submit to you is that these are three generations in one house. And we're seeing three generations that are, of course, born again, filled with the Spirit and have Torah at Beit Tehillah, grafted in as non-Jews. And Praise so we're God. seeing this at Beit Tehillah. And why is that so important, everyone? Because that's the generation that's going to go into the promised land. These are the people, the three generations that are all together under one roof. Amen. And, uh, and this is what we're seeing. Now, here's the interesting thing. If that's the case, the third generation is one that leads everybody else into the promised land. Uh, there's hope for all the generations. But what I want to submit to you is this. Now, I don't know 
where the first generation would start. That's so that's I'll right, give yeah. you an example. So Pastor Tifa is the matriarch of Beit Tehillah. And what happened? She ended up getting her Hebrew roots later on in life. She She's, of course, married, has children, two daughters. And, of course, what happens after that? Well, then all of a sudden, she has a daughter. And the daughter is kind of raised in the church in the beginning a little bit. But then the daughter gets the Hebrew roots, you know. Uh, this is over a period of time. And then, of course, uh, my, my wife, Danielle, her daughter, uh, has Josiah. And we have seven children. And all these kids uh, of mine are grown uh growing up or have grown up in the Hebrews of the Christian faith movement. So, you know, they, they didn't have to, you know, eat pork chops and pepperoni pizzas and celebrate pagan holidays. So they were, they were raised in this. So the question is, you know, would, would Josiah or, or, you know, my children be qualified as that third generation? Or would they be the first generation? Or would they be the first generation? Yeah, so it's something question. to think about, you know, and I really want to encourage all of you that, you know, theoretically speaking, you know, if you stop and look at, at, at my wife and that generation, and then Josiah. So as soon as Josiah gets married and has children, could that be a marker? Could that be a signal in the earth? You know, it's time to uh, to to act. So so we'll see. But we're, we're going to keep moving on here because Phineas, of course, has a great name. He, he gets blessings from God. And now we're going to go into some detail about the uh, uh, a little investigation on the party of two that were involved in, of course, outright blatant sexual immorality. Uh, the names of the two people that Phineas killed was Zimri, the son of Salu, a prince of a chief house among the Simeonites, and Cosby, the daughter of Zer. He was head over a people and of a chief house in Midian. So once again, you have uh, an interesting thing playing here. Somebody from the tribe of Simeon, you know, uh, Zimri, the son of Salu, a prince of a chief house among the Simeonites. So here we have somebody from the tribe of Simeon. And then, of course, uh, we have, of course, Cosby, the daughter of Zer. He was head over a people and of a chief house in Midian. Interesting, geographically speaking, the land of Midian would be today Saudi Arabia. Well, they're not in the news, are they? Not at all. And of course, the land of Midian would be Saudi Arabia. And there's, of course, Mecca and Medina there as well. And so here's what happens in Numbers chapter 25, verses 16 through 18. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites, and smite them, for they vex you with their wiles, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor, and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. They were slain in the day of the plague. So the plague had begun, people were crying out, and Phineas goes and takes the spear, and he does the deed. Now, here's a great question that we have to ask ourselves. How has Satan beguiled God's children today and been successful with his wiles? Let me say that again. How has Satan beguiled God's children today and been successful with his wiles? And we have, of course, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. I want to read this to you, this little, this little part right here. Uh, it says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. This is the Apostle Paul in the church in Corinth. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So once again, going back to the Garden of Eden in chapter 3, it says here, uh, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve. So what did the uh, hand of the Satan do, the, the serpent, whatever you want to call it, 
evil. This word beguiled is the Greek word exapateo. Exapateo, and it means to seduce wholly or deceive. Think about it. It's number 1818 in the Strong's Concordance. It's the Greek word exapateo, the word beguiled. So to, to be seduced wholly or to deceive, uh, we can see this being played out as well. Even, even Yeshua in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, he says in regards to subject matter, the word deceived, he mentions it four times. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived and don't be deceived. Let me give you an example of, of how you could be deceived. Bashing the church. Hey, let's bash the church. I just came out of the church. The church is worshiping on the wrong day and they're eating pork chops. And, and guess what? You're deceived. You know why? Because you are committing Lashon Hara, slander and gossip. That's how we can deceive ourselves. You know, think about it, everybody. How does that work? So to seduce holy or deceive. So if you're stuck in pornography or whatever it is, you know, uh, you're being seduced holy. And we got to come out of that stuff, you know, habitual sin. You got to come out and you can do it. Now, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, as far as beguiled. Because once again, these women came in and, and seduced Israel and they beguiled the men. Remember, in the golden calf incident, they committed idolatry first, then sexual immorality. Now, at Baal Peor, this particular example, right before they go into the promised land, think about it, everybody, they commit sexual immorality that leads to idolatry. So they're synonymous. So idolatry is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is idolatry. Think about that, everybody. So here's Ephesians 6.11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Mm. So here come the wiles. Ephesians 6.11, the wiles. Now, the word wiles in, in the Strong's Concordance is number 3180. It's the Greek word methodia, and it means trickery or lie in wait. You know, it's like somebody that would bait you into an argument or a conversation, or they would bait you into saying something or doing something, you know. Think about it. That's trickery. Or, or lie in wait, you know, how many times did they try to trap Jesus with a question or something? See, that's deception. That's trickery, you know. You don't have the right motives, you know. Your heart's not pure and good to want to talk about something in, 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 a, in, a, in a nice, you know, pleasant way, you know. And, and of course, once again, you know, we, we need to look at this word uh, beguiled and wiles. Right. Because that's what's happening today. We simply disqualify ourselves. By our own foolishness, Ryan. So yeah. what do you have to say about that? Because it says right here that uh, he says, vex the Midianites and smite them, for they vex you with their wiles. Yeah. See? We're I mean, how it. many beautiful women or prominent women in the world today, and I'm not mentioning names, that are out there seducing our culture? Yeah, no doubt. Well, and the, the question here is how has um, Satan been successful in, in beguiling us with his wiles? And I think within the church community, I'm going to talk within the church community specifically, um, you know, sexual immorality is a big deal. Um, how often does it come up in a church that, oh, by the way, you should be married before you have sex? Um, I don't know that that's a, a topic of conversation. Uh, I think that, you know, your average pastor would say, of course, that's the doctrine of this church. But are we teaching the people? I, I would suspect is probably a, a bigger question. 40% of births in the U.S. are out of wedlock. 40 percent of children born today are born out of wedlock wow so i mean that's that's a big statistic um that comes from uh 
Pew Research, I believe. Um, but to say that 40% of births come out of wedlock, that's a sign of sexual morality. Well, what's the next step, right? Then these children don't have fathers in the home. Um, there's even more than 40% that are dealing with fatherlessness. And in minority communities, this is upwards of 70% to where these births are out of wedlock, that people are having children without being married. And what ultimately happens is when you don't have God's divine order and you don't have the way that God has put this together and you've bought the lie from Satan that, oh, this is no big deal, because that's what he does. He just downplays sin. Oh, are you? did he really say you're going to die if you eat from that tree? You know, I mean, that's the question. Oh, yeah, God's holding out on you. Yeah. That, oh, God's holding it back. See, you can eat from all these trees and bushes, but oh, no, you can't eat from that tree. See, he's holding out on you. And, well, and, and, and to that end, what ends up happening is you end up doing things that are contrary to the Word of God, um, and there's consequences for that. And the church is suffering the consequences, and what one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces. And we're seeing that with whole denominations um, allowing uh, clergy uh, to be in open homosexual relationships. It's, it's one thing for somebody to struggle with homosexual desires, right? Um, everyone has the sin that they are uh, more... Uh, more susceptible to than others, right? Everybody has their own brand and everybody wants to pick on everybody else's brand of sin. But the issues come when now in the church, we're having a debate over whether sin and open sinfulness and unrepentant sinfulness is okay for somebody who's a leader. Let me just go ahead and give you the position of mine. Open, unrepentant sin is not okay. Whether it's pride or it's sexual immorality, it's not okay. We should be repenting for our sins. I'm not saying we don't sin. I'm saying that unrepentant sin is not okay, and that unrepentant sin is an idol. And when we when we say we are okay with unrepentant sin, God stops being God, and we become God. And now we're worshiping at the altar of our own opinion again, and here we go. And, and, and let me just encourage all of you that these two things that are coming after yeah, these two things that are coming after us, everybody, is the occult and sexual immorality. It's like on steroids, you know what I mean? It's like it's everywhere, you know? And so I have to encourage you that guard your eyes, guard your heart, you know? Do what you got to do, you know? Uh, there's, there's people that said to me, I can't go to the beach. You know, these women don't wear clothes. I mean, string bikinis and, and, and I mean, all, all these things, you know? It's like, hey, do what you got to do, you know? Right. And protect yourself, you know? Uh, in Ecclesiastes, it says the eyes are never satisfied. Uh, that's why we can flip through all these channels Boy, and we have cable truth. and stuff, you know, because the eyes are never satisfied. They really aren't. A commercial comes on, I'll flip over to the station. A wreck on the side of the you road. Know, whatever. We, we just rubberneck it, you yeah. know. So so here's First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 in closing before we get into the next chapter dealing with the census. Here we go. Check this out. Here's about the devil. It says, be sober, be vigilant. See, that means you're ready. You're not asleep at the wheel. You're not drunk. You're, you're cognizant. You're, re- you're bringing your A game. Because your adversary, the devil... As a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Once again, here we have the credible story of he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We just pray against that for those of you that are listening and to be sober, be vigilant, and of course our congregation. So we're going to get into Numbers uh, chapter 26, the second census. And uh, actually, the, the Lord told Moses and Eliezer to take a census in Numbers chapter 26 and verse 2. Take a census. Re- remember, numbers don't lie. Three famous words. Numbers don't lie. Uh, whatever gets measured gets changed. 
All that were counted were from 20 years old and upward throughout their father's house, all that are able to go to war in Israel. The people were counted on the plains of Moab, okay, on the east side of the Jordan River there. So now this is a, a very interesting. Here's a great question. Were the children of Korah still alive after their father's death? Yes. Absolutely. You know, Numbers you, chapter 26, verse 11. You know, until you get into the Torah, you don't realize that there's like a whole swath of the Psalms that are written before the, that, the that's children That's true. Well, we, we can find Korah in first, uh, his children, first Chronicles 622. Uh, you can also find, find uh, reference to the sons of Korah in Psalms uh, chapter 42 through 49. Yeah. So well, those Psalms out. are all written for the sons of Korah. Yeah. They're all, they're all written for, for the children. So what hope do we have? We have a lot of great hope. That's you know? right. So let's check out this census here. Uh, once again, these are some incredible numbers here. Uh, here's, here's a great question. What tribe had the greatest decrease in the second census? Ooh, that's going to be Simeon. Simeon started out in the first census with 59,300 uh, men, 20 years old and up and ended with 22,200. That's more than half gone. That's right. And of course, you know, you can find that reference in the beginning of numbers for the first census. Once again, the first census, there was 59,300 in the second census, 22,200. Uh, here's another question. What tribe had the greatest increase in the second census? Uh, that's going to be Manasseh, Manasseh. And that's uh, the first census. They had 32,200 by the end of the second census, 52,700. Wow. So, Manasseh. Remember, remember, that's a powerful, powerful yeah. duo there, Manasseh and Ephraim. Yep. And uh, boy, did they get some territory, didn't they? East side and the west side, uh -huh. NASA. That's right. You know, so that's uh, that's quite a feat there. So they went from 32,200 to 52,700. Think about it, right? That's in 40 years. Wow, that's some serious stuff. Now, here's the total number of people counted in the second census was 601,730. Yeah, wow. So the first, once again, these are, these are men... Uh, 20 years and up. These are just counting the men, not the women and children. The first census was 603, um, right? Yeah, the first census was 603,550. So if you subtract that, uh, there's not really much of, of a of a, you know, of an increase at all. There's a decrease, actually. There's more of a shuffling of the deck. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something you know, we think about here. So why were there more people in the first census than the second census? And how is that relevant for today, Ryan? Wow. So, uh, I mean, why is that relevant for today? You know, I would say that when we think that all of these people are going to join us on this journey in making our way towards Israel and in, in Hebrew roots and Torah and all of these things, um, I think a lot of people are going to get excited about it, but not everybody wants to go on the journey and not everybody wants to go the whole way. You know, think about it like this, Ryan, you know, the sower had how many seeds? There's four different kinds of seeds, right? Well, four, yeah, four places, four soils. Yeah, right. four soils. Yeah. So, so four places for that seed to hit. Right. So we want it to hit in the fourth one, right, where it takes root, it grows, it brings forth fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Oh, yeah. So so it's funny how, you know, if you if you do the math and just think about it, if you're in a room of 100 people and you're preaching the gospel, you're preaching the word. It's 25%. Right. If you think about it, right, that's 25% are going to produce fruit either 30, 60, 100 fold. So I feel like those are good numbers. <laughs> those are very good numbers. If you ask me, I mean, I, I'll exactly. take that any day. Yeah, but remember, it. it's not how you start, but how you finish. Yeah. And for those of you listening to this podcast, listen to me closely. I've been in this movement for over 23 years. Okay. I've celebrated my first set of feast days, Passover, Pesach in 1995 in the spring. I found out I was grafted in. I was a Friam in 1995. We got Torah in 99. 
we started putting all the pieces together, Ryan, and going to the land of Israel. So why am I telling you this? Listen up, everyone. The Hebrew roots of the Christian faith movement is going to the next chapter. God is giving us all an opportunity now to do the things that he's given us to do, and to check the boxes, and to move forward with him. He's given it to us right now. Give you an example. We're not bashing the church. We respect the church. We respect people's free will. We're moving on. Now, all of a sudden, Judah is coming to us with an extended hand. We are extending our hand. We are seeing the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles right now. And also, let me just stress this. Please respect Judaism. Don't say derogatory things towards Judaism in, in any form or fashion. Respect what they believe. Respect what they're doing because it's important to go to the next chapter. And those are just a few little tidbits for you that I've learned in 23 years. If you want to go to that next level, if you want your inheritance, remember that promise is epigelia. It's a divine assurance of good. So don't think comfort is good. Okay. Don't think, well, luxury is good. No, it's a divine assurance of good. So the land was going to be divided for an inheritance according to the number of names. And of course, the land was going to be divided among the tribes by lot. So how many of you know that you can get a map uh, of Israel and the 12 tribes? And we actually have one in our lobby right now that we were looking at as our guest Hanok was here. And uh, we were talking about uh, in Isaiah, there's a prophecy about a certain area seeing a bright light, an incredible light, the gospel. And uh, I do believe it was uh, Naphtali and Zebulun. And you can find that reference, I believe, in Matthew, and it's coming from Isaiah, but it's actually the area of Nazareth uh, is where uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, Nazareth sits right there on the border, and that's where Jesus grew up, you know. And so uh, you can go back and look at that address later, but anyway, something to think about as you look at the map and the inheritance, and, and actually the tribe of Ephraim uh, in and of itself, uh, it's like in the very middle, the heartland of Judea and Samaria of Israel, the heartland, they call it, and uh, Shiloh, where the tabernacle was erected for almost 400 years. That's Ephraim's territory. We can see all of that. And we were talking even with Hanok about uh, Modin uh, is, is, could actually be a part of that. Is that correct? So actually, what Modin is right in between um, Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, right? So it's a middle middle way point. So it's a it's actually like a lot of people live in Modin. Modin is where the uh, the story of Hanukkah comes about. Correct. Mattathias and the five sons and the Hanukkah story. But what's really cool about it, and and he and I were talking because we were looking at Eliezer Braun who visits us, and you know obviously Hanok who visits us. Uh, Eliezer Braun lives in a town that's within Ephraim's territory. And I was trying to make the supposition that Moda'in is also within Ephraim's territory. So, oh, what a coincidence. But it's actually, Moda'in is right there at the conjunction of Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Judah, so it's like Benjamin, and Ephraim, yeah. Right there where they all meet. Geographically speaking, yeah. yeah. right where they all meet, that's Moda'in. You know, and, and just this is just something to think about, everybody. If I'm not mistaken, but uh, Judea and Samaria, you know, Samaria to the north, Judea to the south. Um, you know, the thing is that they call it the West Bank. There's this green line or whatever. But let me just share something with you that's pretty, pretty out, outstanding. Uh, from my understanding, there's over uh, half a million people in this area, you know, I mean, as far as Jews. Mm -hmm. So we'll say and we can't get any real numbers on the Arabs in, in Judea and Samaria. But from my understanding, uh, there's close to half a million Jews scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, you tell me that that's going to be a... Uh, 
of course, a Palestinian state or anything. You tell me that. No, I don't think so. Uh, how could it be? How, how are you going to have two states in the middle of a state the size of what? New Jersey, yeah, right? It does, it Is it the size sense. of New Jersey? Uh, but it's anyway. A, it's almost exactly the size of New Jersey. So, so like anyway, miles-wise. just think about it, geographically speaking. I don't see how it could happen. You're not going to uproot half a million Jews, people. What foolishness. Not, not only that, I mean, from our position, we look at it and we say, okay, where is the homeland of the Jewish people? Well, what people are calling the West Bank of Jordan, quote-unquote, is actually the biblical heartland of Israel. It's where all the stories of the Bible occurred. So it's just, it's just dumb. It, it just, you know, last year during Feast of Tabernacles, when we took our trip to Israel, and of course I stayed back in the diaspora, but my son Nehemiah was able to go and do some filming and everything. You know, here's my son sending me these pictures, and I have these pictures of him right at Joshua's altar. Yeah. Where altar was built from Joshua at his time, coming into the land. What an incredible archaeological find. And of course, they had to go with the IDF. But what, what an incredible sight, Ryan, to see my son, Nehemiah, my second born, who's 17 now, sitting right near Joshua's altar. You just can't make this stuff up. And so we're going to move on here. So here we go. Now we got to get into, geographically speaking, the, the allotment and the tribes and the age and the amount of numbers of people. And, but here's the thing. Um, from a month old and upward, uh, the Levites were to be counted in the second census, okay? From a month old and upward, uh, the Levites were to be counted in the second census. So the total number of Levites counted in the second census was 23,000. And the total number of Levites counted in the first census was 22,000. You know, as we look at these numbers in closing, Ryan, you know, it's so funny. I'll never forget going over all of this, you know, because math is not one of my strong subjects. I like basic math, adding, subtracting, multiplication. But the thing is, though, when you look at this, Ryan, it's like, you know, when, when I was a kid um, and you would pick your teams for like flag football or whatever, you pick your teams, you know. Yeah. And oh, your hand would go up. I remember I was I was a little little guy, you know, out of everybody. Everybody's taller than me, stronger than me, bigger than me. And I'd be, oh, pick me. My hand would go, oh, I want, oh, I want to be, pick me, pick me, right? But the question is whether it's not whether you're being picked or not, but can you be counted on? Yeah. So yeah, you get counted, whatever. You get picked last. I'll show you, you know. So you know, you you turn into the underdog. But the thing is, though, Ryan, you know, uh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Think about this, everybody. The Bible says many are called. But few are chosen. Yeah. But if you break that down in the Greek, it's this, Ryan. Many are called, but few choose. So the struggle is, everybody, is that what are you willing to give up to get from God? And trust me, whatever you're hanging on to, whatever you're hanging on to, it's not worth hanging on to. Let it go. Let it go. You know, a good example is the organization of Hayovel. You know, when you go to Israel, they can't bury anything. They can't bury plumbing, cables, because it's rock hard. There's rocks. You know, and, and their living arrangements aren't like they are here, you know, but they are the happiest people and family you'll ever meet. You know, and it's, it's my understanding that uh, Tommy and Sherry Waller have have their grandkids uh, like under the age of eight. There's over 30. So they're actually they're actually birthing a country within a country. You know, forget about the village. But but here we have this census. And of course, the Levites. Uh, they got they got an increase by a thousand, so that's good, you know. Yeah. And so as we move into Numbers chapter twenty-seven, this is where we get into the law of inheritance. And so these five women came before Moses, requesting a share of the inheritance, and they were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza. 
Now, this is interesting. These five women came before Moses, and they were all sisters, right? So they were from the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. That's the tribe they were from. So here's the dilemma, Ryan. Think, check this out. Boy, these women had some tenacity, you know. They knew what they wanted. They were going for it. Oh, yeah. There were no sons of Zelophehad, is his name, and who was from the tribe of Manasseh. So the Lord said to Moses to give the five daughters an inheritance within their own tribe. Yeah. So here's the thing. They didn't have sons. He didn't have sons. He had all daughters. It's like not wrong. He's got mm. all daughters. What do you do? Well, all they have to do is marry within... The tribe. The tribe. And they get their inheritance. That, that is so cool. So so here's a question I'm going to throw at you, Ryan. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, I'm throwing it at you. How far are you willing to go to be obedient in receiving your inheritance, Ryan? How far are you willing to go? So my inclination is to say, I'm going willing to go wherever and do whatever God tells me to do. That's cool. So what was the first promise made to Abraham and his descendants that they would get? Land. So here, here's a, a, a requirement. As you're talking to people, if someone would rather go on an Alaskan cruise than go to Israel, chances are they can't be the seed of Abraham. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I would what, say what you if do? you if have not... the resources to do both, I'm okay with doing both. Absolutely. But what I'm saying is that if you see people drawn to Israel and going to Israel, chances of you being being Israel and grafted in and getting your inheritance is going to be greater than, than not pursuing it. And this is important for all of us to understand. And know, you know, I've been to Israel seven times. I've been blessed by that. But uh, there's a number of people that have been there longer. So how far are you willing to go to be obedient, receiving your inheritance? You know, we all got to be getting out of debt. We got to position ourselves, get rid of stuff, make sure your passport's up to date. These are just simple things. You know, yeah. this is just basic, simple things. Make sure your passport is up to date. You won't regret that. That passport's everything. If all you have was a passport, you're getting on the plane. You're out of here. That's right. But if you don't have a passport, you're done. Little so. little plug for for the podcast that I just did as an interview with uh, with Hanok, uh, episode 105. It's the one right before this one. This is episode 106. We talked all about touring, going to Israel next year, right. all that kind of stuff. So if, if you're interested in in stuff like that, go ahead and uh, and check out that podcast, episode 105. Absolutely. So how far are you willing to go to be obedient, receiving your inheritance? That's a great question. And uh, of course, here's another good question as we move on here. Did Moses want God to set a man over the congregation? Uh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So, so the Lord picked Joshua, who's from the tribe of Ephraim, whoop, whoop. the son of Nun, to succeed Moses. Numbers chapter 27, verse 18. So once again, here is the successor to Moses. It's an Ephraimite. It's Joshua. So Joshua was set before Eliezer the priest, who is, of course, uh, his father was Aaron. And then from Eliezer, we have Pincus or Phineas. And of course, Joshua was set before Eliezer the priest, all the congregation, and Moses laid his hands upon him to give him a charge, to give him authority. A mantle, yeah. Yeah. So, of course, it's important uh, to have a successor uh, when it comes to leadership. It's important to delegate, to have things in place. I can't encourage you enough. Uh, we always talk about this at the church, uh, servant leadership, that we should be three deep. You know, if, if, if you're discipling or helping somebody, somebody else can do your job. They understand your job. They understand the ministry part of it. So that's very, very, very important. Any last thoughts on that, Ryan, uh, how important leadership is, even in this movement right now, uh, how important it is? Well, it's, to delegate leadership. It's, it's important to have a successor, especially because in order to go to the next level, the current level has to be squared away, right? So 
you're, you're building on a foundation and it works its way up, but you have to build that level that you're on out before you can build another level on top of it because the other levels support the upper levels. Right? And, you know, it, like I said, if you listening to this podcast, Yeshua said, go make disciples, you know? And so when people repeat what I'm saying or do what I'm saying, you know, there's discipleship, you know, well, Pastor Nick yes. said, and Pastor Nick does this. And, you know, cause even Paul said, as I follow Christ, then you follow me. So as I set that example, or as I do things, I like to see imitation. It's the highest form of flattery. Oh yeah. So the thing is, it makes everything better when you play off each other and compliment one another, you know, and, and it'll, it'll grow. It'll grow. So here we are. We're, we're in numbers chapter 28 in the laws for offerings. Uh, this is really important. You know, it's so amazing. And I was, I was telling Ryan this earlier and we've talked about this more than once, probably even on the podcast, even if, if I'm, if I'm correct, but you know, when, when, when the people mess up and things get, you know, the train runs off the track, that's right. God wants to, you know, write the train, get it back on the track, write the ship, whatever it is, you know, you're going the wrong way. Your, your rudders, you know, needs to be corrected in the direction you're going. But I want to say that, and I don't have all the examples here, but you can go back and look at the golden calf incident, Cora, or even now, right. Baal Peor. It's like, then God says, okay, here are my offerings. Okay. It's a damage control. Let's fix this. Let's get back on track. Yeah. Right? Let's get back on track. Okay. We hit a few bumps in the road. Let's get back on track. How come I'm not focused on Israel? How come I'm not focused on, you know, what I need to be doing? And so here we have the laws for offerings in Numbers chapter 28. And uh, of course, a lamb was an animal sacrifice that was offered in the morning and in the evening. That's right. A uh, In the morning and in the evening, a lamb. Uh, there was a special sacrifice made for the beginning of each month. The Rosh, the That's Rosh, right. Rosh Kodesh, Kodesh, which means Numbers 2011, a, a special sacrifice month. made for the beginning of each month. And then, of course, on the 14th day of the first month is the Feast of Pesach or Passover. Here's a special offering for that as well. Uh, and of course, we've already celebrated the spring feast, but we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread is celebrated for seven days. There's a special offering for that as well. And then, of course, there were special offerings for the Feast of First Fruits, Numbers chapter 28, verse 26. And so now we're already in, uh, of course, an awesome chapter here. As I flip the pages here, we are going into, to continue on, we are in Numbers chapter 29. Here, here you go, Ryan. What did they blow in the seventh month on the first day? <laughs> Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets. Trumpets. Think about it. Trumpets is also known as Yom Teruah, a day of blowing. Uh, otherwise known in your Hallmark calendar, Rosh Hashanah, head of the year. So they call that the uh, the civil year, you know. And of course, the biblical new year is, of course, uh, in the first month on the first day, which would lead us to Pesach. So once again, Rosh Hashanah, head of the year. And I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we are at 57.79 right now. Is that correct? That is correct. And we're going to go to 57.80. Oh, yeah. So they're saying 5,780 years ago, the world was created, Adam and Eve were created. And, and you know, we're not here to set dates or, or lock into anything like that. But I will say that some have said that we are closer to 6,000 than we even know. Uh, than yeah. we even know. So it's just something to think about as, as, we, as we look at this. I actually did a study some years ago, and because of a... T- because of a technicality, they subtracted 250 years that actually did pass, but they didn't count. So, you know, the, the thing with the calendar, you know, it could be a little controversial, the calendar. Really? The calendar? The Gregorian one and, yes, uh, the, the the lunar lunar calendar. Lunar calendar, solar, look. Yeah. And there's other calendars. Yeah, too, we, but we're not gonna we have heard of, of some other calendars, yeah, that's right. I'll tell you what, 
what did you afflict on the 10th day of the seventh month? And were you allowed to work on this day? So you afflict your soul, which is a, a Hebrew idiom for fasting, um, not eating. And then, uh, and no, it was a day of, of not working. So once again, we're going into the fall feast here, folks. And this is really, really cool. And uh, Ryan, would you like to read Numbers chapter 29, verse 12? So we've discussed uh, Yom Teruah, a day of blowing of trumpets. We've talked about, of course, the 10 days of all in between there. And uh, we have the day of atonement. Now we're looking at this next incredible fall feast day. Let's look at Numbers chapter 29, verse 12. And why don't you go ahead and just take it from there, Ryan, and finish this up for me. Yeah, this one gets really exciting for me. It says, And on the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work, and you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. And so during the Feast of Tabernacles, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, um, also called uh, Sukkot or Booths. And so during the Feast of Tabernacles in the seventh month, there was a sacrifice performed each day for seven days. And so part of part of the, the rituals that went on with Tabernacles was a sacrifice. And there was a solemn assembly that was held on the eighth day, and no work could be done on this day. And this was called the eighth great day. And so I have a question for you, Pastor Nick. How has the Lord's feast days changed your life? Wow. How have the feast days changed my life? You know, it's interesting... When you ask that question, uh, it's funny how when you come into truth or God's truth, uh, I have this little expression, hey, there's a better way. So we were all living a certain way, doing certain things because we, we were ignorant. You know, we, we were not redeemed. We didn't know any better. You know, we didn't have the Bible. We didn't have any kind of role models around us or whatever, but, but this is all changing now. And so we're seeing the restitution of all things. So I was able to celebrate my first, of course, feast day in, in spring of 1995, the feast of Passover or Pesach. And it was really cool because it was with Batya and Angus Wooten, who actually married my wife and I, uh, July 24th, 1999. But I got to celebrate Pesach. And the theme for this protector Pesach was the four Passovers. So you have, of course, the, the family Passover in, in Exodus. Then you have, of course, the uh, congregational Passover in Deuteronomy. And then, of course, you move into the personal Passover in, in, in the Gospels with Yeshua. It's personal. And then we look forward to the kingdom Passover in Revelation, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, so Ryan, the, the feasts have totally changed my life because my wife and I you know, we were celebrating them coming into them. My wife was celebrating them before I was. And so uh, that was exciting. And so as a couple, we celebrated and everything. And then all of a sudden we started having children and building sukkahs and doing seders and doing all these cool things. And so uh, I really love the personal aspect of the feast for me personally. Uh, I love tabernacles. It's my favorite feast time. And then, of course, uh, celebrating with my wife and family is great. But what's greater is seeing all the families come together at Beit Tehila and celebrate the feast and get ready for the feast. It's quite an incredible time. Definitely life-changing. You know, uh, I always believe that you should just celebrate the feast days. And if people are celebrating, you know, Easter and Christmas and all these things in that regard, uh, then, you know, so be it. But I think if you're excited about the feast days and you're not just, you know, you're not just going to rain on their parade and you know, cast down those other things. You know, I think if you just tell people what you're for, not what you're against, they'll be more drawn to you and then they can make that decision later. Uh, Cause that's the thing that people really are defensive about Ryan is of course, politics and religion. So, you know, I think if you present the feast days in a positive light and how we do and what we do and just avoid the, uh, 
you know, the, the derogatory remarks towards pagan holidays, it's fine. But like I said, that's my style. But the feast days are awesome. They're, they're actually, they share God's redemptive plan. Because mm-hmm. you have the three national feast days, and I do believe it's found in Exodus 23, Deuteronomy 16. Those three national feast days on top of the eight feast days, counting all of the feast days, and Sabbath is eight. But but the thing about the national feast days, they, they show God's redemptive plan in closing here. They they show Passover, uh, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Yeah. Those are the three national feast days where all the men are required to assemble. That was the first promise keepers meeting was to go to the feast days. And so, Ryan, like I said, you know, I want all, all of you to think about this because it's a time of reflection that prophetically and historically, you know, we have seen Passover is fulfilled and it's, it's being fulfilled because we did come out of Egypt. <clears throat> we are born again. Yeah. People are becoming born again. So we say that it has come to pass and it's, and it's, even, it's even for today. And then, of course, we know that we move towards, of course, Pentecost and Exodus 19, the giving of the Torah. We know that took place. Historically, and in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit was given as a promise from Yeshua. So would you say that the Holy Spirit is being poured out today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody's getting the Holy Spirit right now as we're sharing this message. Maybe you're getting the Holy Spirit right now. So prophetically, Ryan, out of the three national feast days, two have been fulfilled and are being fulfilled. So Ryan, we're 2,000 years into Sukkot, which is the Feast of Ingathering. So there's such a resistance to come together for some reason. You know, it's hurting cats, I say. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. You know, I, I made a little joke at, at, the, uh, at the service yesterday. I was talking about signs of the times, signs in the earth, you know. And I said, you know, having a Torah scroll in our church is a sign of the last days. How many churches have a Torah scroll, you know, in their sanctuary, in an ark, you know, secure? Not many. You know, uh, and then, of course, you, you know, whenever there's a sign, then there's a judgment. You know, I, I made mention of Noah's ark. Animals going into the ark two by two. Here they go in pairs or whatever in, in, in a series of, of 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 moving into the ark and you would never see such a thing you know that's a sign you know and it's funny you know i can't even get my kids in the van you know so that's a sign of wonder so once again ryan you know when we think about these feast days they are uh, actually god's redemptive story his plan and then of course it's also uh, a way for us to rehearse and practice what Messiah is going to do, because he will fulfill the fall feast. Absolutely. And I can say that I came into the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith through the feast days. I saw teaching on the pagan roots of the holidays. And then at the end of the teaching, after laying out like an attorney plan and and, and kind of showing me as just a, a, a normal Christian, I understood, you know, hey, hey, God's way is good, pagan way is bad, right? So by the end of it, I was like, well, well, well geez, what do you what do you do now? And it was cool because, um, you know, the teacher left it with, oh, by the way, there's a better way. Here's the Feast of the Lord. And so that led me to search for, is there anybody else doing this, or am I the only crazy one doing it? And I found Beit Tehillah, and and the rest is history. Here I am. So it's definitely changed my life. Um, There's so much richness in it. If I could encourage all of you on one thing, um, it's this, that it's that invite people to join you. Don't Pick out your your pointer finger and tell them all the horrible things that they're doing and why what they're doing is bad or pagan. It's just, it, listen, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It doesn't mean that you can't direct them to teachings and things like that. But if you ask them to join you, they will have questions. And then you will have an opportunity to answer their questions and to share a teaching with them or whatever. But if your social media is littered with pagan this, pagan that, you're part of the problem. Stop. Um, and e- e- email me your questions. If you guys, you know, have, have anything that you need, Ryan at to praise.net. Um, we thank you for listening today, man. What a good tour portion. Pincus is such a good example, uh, for us, uh, just as a whole tour portion, just to look at these things and, and reflect on them. 
Um, you know, if you guys want to reach out to me, you can email me. You can call the office at 813-654-2222. You can live stream our services at topraise.net uh, every Saturday at 11 a.m., uh, either through our website at topraise.net or on our social media platform. And so um, we love all of you. We thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a great week.